going on, everybody? Uh, welcome to the latest episode of our podcast, Mass Media Hysteria, here on my YouTube channel. My name is Court. I am your host for the duration. As always, um, I would like to introduce my co-hosts. First, we have Chris. Hey, how's it going, everyone? And down below, of course, we have Andres. Howdy. And uh, so today, the way the show is going to go is we have... Uh, Three, three sort of big topics that we're going to discuss. We're going to talk about a new Batman animated series that's going to be uh, coming out. It's being developed right now. Uh, we'll talk about that. Then we're going to do a full spoilers review of Zack Snyder's new zombie flick, Army of the Dead, which is on Netflix right now. And then finally, we have a discussion. Andres, do you want to sort of give us an idea of what we're going to be talking about there? We're going to be talking about underrated zombie flicks. All right. So as per usual, we want to thank you guys for watching. I hope you'll uh, consider dropping a like on the video. It helps the video get out there a little bit more. If you haven't subscribed, definitely think about doing that. And anything you want to talk about in the comments, hit the comments below. I read all the comments. I respond to them whenever I can. So don't think uh, anything is going unread. But uh, with that uh, little preamble out of the way, we are going to talk about this new animated Batman series that is called Batman Caped Crusader. I like that title very much. It is going to be uh, sort of produced by J.J. Abrams and uh, Bruce Tim, who of course was uh, the lead animator. And I believe it was the showrunner on Batman the Animated Series back in the 90s, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, who, am I, who am I missing? I'm missing one other person. Uh, Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves, uh, of course. The, you know, director of the last two Planet of the Apes films in the upcoming The Batman with Robert Pattinson. And of course, director of The Pallbearer. Yeah. The let's... David Schwimmer vehicle, <laughs> The Pallbearer. The, the movie no one remembers from the 90s. Right. And nobody probably should. So yeah. um, we have, I have some, I have some quotes here, but before we get into that, uh, Andres, I'm going to ask you first, were you a fan of Batman, the animated series? You know, it's funny. Uh, yes. Uh, I didn't like the Burton Batman films as a kid. They were okay, but it was Batman, the animated series that pulled me in and made me a Bat fan when okay. I was growing up. What about you, Chris? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's terrific. I, the, the original Batman, the animated series from the nineties, I think is not only one of the best kind of um, TV adaptations of a comic book, but I, it's, it's probably up there for, with me with one of the best animated shows ever. Um, I think it, it, it was such a perfect blend of everything you love from the comics of Batman, but it was a perfect blend of like, it appealed to kids, but it was also mature enough in its storytelling and, and it's plotting and its characterization that it still appeals to adults today. Oh yeah. I don't know if I'm off base with that or if I'm overhyping it, but I really think it's it's a fantastic show. Oh, oh, no, I agree. You, you, you uh, go back as an adult and it's it holds up so well. You're like, wow. And you you catch things that you didn't catch as a kid because the show didn't pander to children. You know, mm -hmm. it didn't play it up as where a kid's show. It's like, no, it's no. exactly. Well, it also really went like deep into like the psychological stuff, which is always like, that's my bag. Mm -hmm. Actually, recently I watched uh, the first part of uh, the episode where Harvey Dent gets turned into Two-Face. Uh, it's like, it gets really heavy for a kid's show. Like, oh yeah, oh, definitely. And some yeah, of that scarecrow, hard. some of that scarecrow stuff got pretty scary. And oh yeah. Yeah. Pulled no punches. Yeah. So of course, uh, that show was, I believe, show run by Bruce Tim, who was a, a longtime animator artist at DC. So he's back again with JJ Abrams and Matt Reeves. Uh, Chris, let me ask you first, what do you think about this, this, this trio doing this show? 
Uh, I'm I'm very excited. Uh, to me, the big news is Bruce Tim. Um, hypothetically, if it was just coming out that Matt Reeves and J.J. Abrams have a new Batman animated show, I'd be like, okay, I'll wait and see. Uh, Batman's had a lot of animated shows in the past couple decades. Um, but the fact that Bruce Tim is coming back and it's seeming like he he's going to have like a, a really significant role, um, not just kind of like in name only, like he's going to be kind of spearheading this. That's really exciting to me. As, as we're talking about, I think it's not, it's, it's probably one of my favorite adaptations of Batman in any medium, um, which was helmed by Bruce Tim. So getting him back, um, I think is terrific, along with the, um, it's, I don't know if it's a concept art, but it's, it was a little like kind of poster they had that showed a, a very similar looking Batman to the Batman animated series. And it had kind of the uh, art deco font for this is cape crusader and it's like yes it's, it's giving me the same vibes of the show from the 90s yeah that that title i really liked for me uh the actual image of batman to me that looked a lot more like his original uh, incarnation in the comics like the 40s mm -hmm. stuff because it had this sort of curved horns mm -hmm. and yeah mm -hmm. or ears i should say they're not horns but um yeah i really like the image and reminder to court in editing put that on the screen now <laughs> um one thing i'm really hoping is that they bring back, because we don't know who all is gonna be on the writer's team. Mm -hmm. One thing, I'm getting ahead of myself here because I wanna pose the question to you about this, this trio, Andres, but let me just throw this out. Uh, I really hope they get Paul Dini back because he wrote, I think a lot of like some of the best episodes of that show. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, have you guys ever read, it's a graphic novel he wrote maybe like five years ago. It's called A Dark Night. Do you guys know this? Mm -mm. No. This is, it's okay. So. Years ago, Paul Dini was, he had been on a date and he was walking home and he got mugged and he was beaten like mercilessly. They told wow. him they were going to kill him. It Jesus. was really bad. And he went home and he just got wasted and he couldn't, he couldn't, like he didn't know what to do with himself. And then because he had been writing these Batman characters for so long, you know, they're so in his head. And so this whole book is about him sort of convalescing and trying to get back into the world. And so the Joker's there and the Joker's just going, you know, like, stay at home. You don't have whatever, you know, like just try to keep him messed up. And then Batman is in his head going, get the fuck up. It's time to get back to a blah, blah, blah. And this book is awesome. Sorry, getting ahead of myself here. Uh, <laughs> definitely worth a read. Uh, Andres, J.J. Abrams, Matt Reeves, Bruce Tim, what do you think? Uh, before I say it, uh, that was a fantastic joke. I didn't know you yeah. could do that. <laughs> Normally, I can do it way better, actually. Thank you for saying that. I have a bit of a sore throat, so it's a little bit off, but... It helps, though. Um, yeah, no, solid Mark Hamill. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Now, okay, uh, Tim, obviously, I mean, he did Batman animated series, Superman animated series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. It was the Tim-verse. was very solid, so seeing him come back is fantastic but for me personally uh, i don't really know too much about matt reeves so i can't really speak about you know sure okay i'm interested in this new uh batman movie he's doing okay but what's got me though is the fact that they've got abrams coming in he's like the golden boy of launching new franchises i mean he did star wars he did star trek everything he's done no matter how chaotic and turbulent the films get later on what he does with his introductions is always like fantastic. And it's always loved by the old fans and the new fans. So it's just like, holy crap, this is an all-star lineup. 
But I, I think I, when, when you, you said that to me in the chat, I wasn't sure if you were being sarcastic or not. No, um, I'm being legit. <laughs> okay. uh, and yeah, I think we've established we're all fans of The Force Awakens, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, I just have uh, Abrams and Matt Reeves put out a statement. So I'm just going to read what those characters had to say. Those crazy cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, so what they what they said this was this was a statement they put out uh, from the both of them, but they say they said we are beyond excited to be working together to bring this character back to tell engrossing new stories in Gotham City. Uh, the series will be thrilling, cinematic, and evocative of Batman's noir roots while dri- while diving deeper into the si- try that again while diving deeper into the psychology of these iconic characters. We cannot wait to share this new world. I'm going to start with that sounds very promising to me Uh, i I love noir batman as we said batman the animated series uh, affectionately known to fans as btas again that went that got pretty noir that got very psychological did you say beat ass i did that's that's what fans call it it's it's effectively known as beat ass also known as the booty bongo right (laughs) now um so yeah i mean uh, that on the surface that sounds great to me and i think One of one of the producers or someone at uh, uh, the animation company were saying they're going to be using um, state of the art uh, animation techniques, so it's going to look very, uh, very unique. I love it. Uh, Andres on CGI. It didn't say. My guess is probably yes. Ooh, uh, ooh. I don't know it, if I. I don't know if I like that. I know it's not confirmed, but it, when when I hear state of the art animation, that sounds like CG. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. It could be 2D computer animation, though. That's the thing, because CG right. can go either way. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't I mean, know that either. Um, even I, even though, sorry, go ahead. I could go either way. I mean, I have faith in these people. Yeah, I guess yeah, I'd, have, I, I'd have to see it. I'd have to see kind of what the design looks like and how the animation goes. Because you're yeah. right on just like, um, this is random, but there's a Netflix movie called Klaus on on already said it. it's on netflix it's it's kind of about like santa claus and it's a <laughs> it's a good movie but it's it's technically 2d but it had uh 3d coloring and and lighting effects and mm. it really beautiful images like if you haven't seen it just at least watch a trailer and it's I, if they do something similar to that where it's like they use cg to kind of enhance uh the 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 2d effect i think i think that would be great but like part of the reason why I was excited, and I guess I, you know, nobody confirmed this, was that I was building up in my head that, oh, it's going to be 2D again, because I love 2D animation, and I think it's kind of, you know, fallen out of vogue in the last couple decades. So I really hope that they don't just go full-blown 3D animation. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that, and I think, you know, Batman the Animated Series had such a unique look because, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, they animated on black paper instead of white paper, yes. which is why it looked oh, so yeah, dark. I, that. Mm-hmm. I think it's super cool. Um, mm-hmm. But it caused, the... it caused problems for me as a 90s child, though, because when you grow up with that and then you go try to watch the X-Men, you're like, ah, it's so bright. Jesus right. Christ. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, when, when talking about sort of state-of-the-art animation techniques, I, I, I'm kind of thinking of uh, Into the Spider-Verse, which was cg animated but it looked amazing oh yeah um it was it was 3d of course but um yeah i don't know i I, i'm kind of with with you chris i i don't 
necessarily love the idea of it being CG animated. If that is what is to be the case, we don't know that, mm -hmm. but you know, if it looks good, that's really all I care about at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, one last thing I was going to add, I don't know if you had anything. I just had a curiosity. I just went to IMDb to see if there was any other information that was on there. <laughs> so I opened up the trivia and I know this is not like technically a good indicator of, of, Oh, the no. general consensus but i swear to, i'm not even joking if you just go to the trivia there's already like 15 entries all of it are just like fans are upset about jj abrams involvement fans are pissed because jj abrams ruined star wars and i'm like are they like i i didn't hear that many people you know i've seen some people be kind of negative about this abrams um, doesn't ruin star wars it was ryan johnson <laughs> i yeah it's i think that's a that's a dumb take i mean Abrams has produced like a shit ton of things, things that have been really good. He's not solely writing it and directing it. So if you have a problem with his his films, whatever. He's one producer out of like two others and probably several others by the time this is done. Sorry, yeah, Gordon, I didn't I, mean to commandeer it. It's just no, like- No, 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 that's great. Yeah. Um, plus, I mean, you still have the golden boy, Bruce Tim in there. Oh, so yeah. like, I, think, I, think, I think it's gonna be just, I, I mean, like JJ Abrams also did a couple years ago um, Bad Robot adapted a Stephen King book that I love called 112263 into a series. Mm. It was really good. It was really, yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, he, he's a solid producer. I mean, go to, like I said, go to his IMDb. He has like 75 things that he's produced. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it's just solid. So mm -hmm. I don't. Um, my big thing, though, do we know what the rating is going to be and who the demographic they're aiming for is? No. That's that. I mean, I'm not saying it could be good or bad because obviously Batman the Animated Series was a kids show, but it's I'm just interested, interested to see where they're going to take this. What, you know, because mm -hmm. that's an interesting uh, wildcard thing. Yeah, for well, sure. I'm, I'm interested in that, too. That's that's a, a conversation I was having with a couple of buddies of mine, because over the years and maybe maybe he was always a horn dog. I don't know. But over the years, like Bruce Tim has gotten he's really like sexualized a lot of his characters. Like, Har I mean, Harley was already, eh, don't you want to rev up your Harley? But like, he does yeah. a lot of, he does a Yahtzee. lot of, yeah. He does a lot of pinup art um, in some of the more recent DC animated movies. They've really sexualized Harley or Batgirl had sex with Batman and the killing joke. And for no reason, for no reason whatsoever. That was, that was weird. Reason. Well, <laughs> he's Batman. Um, he's Batman. <laughs> But yeah, so I'm, I'm wondering, I'm not even necessarily against that take. I don't know that I love it, but I, I, I will say this. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if, if this series went a little more adult. What do you guys think about that? I've got no objections. I mean, they've been pushing, especially if you look at the 90s and 2000s, you had all the Dark Horse comics that took Batman in serial killer territory. And right. you've got this new... Uh, Harley Quinn animated series that's been very raunchy and uh, oh, yeah. you know, uh, but on on the flip side, I I hope I think it's like the people who are like, oh, it's supposed to be dark. You're like, yeah, but it's a kids fucking comic book. You want to get kids something to watch, you know? It's right. like I can go either way. I hope they approach things tastefully. Mm. And I'm sure they will. There's a lot of pressure on this. There, I mean, the way they're advertising it, it's like a lot of people are going to tune in. I don't know how many people tuned into the previous. I mean, there have been like 1,500 Batman yeah, animated shows. Shit ton. And it's like, I haven't watched uh, 
any of i mean i watched gotham which is great mm-hmm. i disagree wholeheartedly contrary to what court <laughs> always says uh but uh but yeah. I, tried, I tried man i tried i made it two that's seasons good. i couldn't do it <laughs> i know and that's where it got good afterwards but uh but yeah no i i think it's there's going to be enough pressure to get this right that i don't think we have to worry too much about it but i'm just curious you know what, what's mm. going to happen what do you think out? chris uh yeah i made it clear that um I think the right thing to do is that Bruce Tim just needs to kind of go like a whole hog the other way and now starts like overly sexualizing all the male enemies right. in Batman's rogues gallery. So, you know, the Joker is just going to have like six pack abs. Bane is going to have like a weird like undercut. So his balls can be seen, it, you know, right. kind of like cleavage, but it's his balls sure. and they're impressive because they're Bane. So I um, don't know though, man, he's Bane on steroids. Balls. Oh, you're right. Okay. <laughs> and then like, they'll all have like shirts with the nipples cut out. So they got mm-hmm. pierced nipples that are exposed. Yeah, well, exactly. I yeah. guess they'll bring back the bat nipples too. Cause I mean, why oh, not? You, you oh they will, all right. So that's the only way that I think I would watch it. No, um, <laughs> I, it, yeah, I don't mind. I, th- I get where you're coming from. Where I, I think that if it's, there's definitely a line you can cross where it just seems like this is too kind of gratuitous. Like, does it need to be like this? Like, I don't think it needs to be as adult as the recent Amazon show Invincible, uh, which was like very much like this is for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, striking. I don't, I don't mind if it if the show kind of aims a little older than the original Batman animated series, but I don't think too much more. Like, I don't need Batman dropping F-bombs. I don't need, you know, gratuitous sex scenes. I think that with having J.J. Of involved, as well as Matt Reeves, I don't think it will go in that direction. Yeah. Uh, those two guys are not really known for their, for their adult kind of R-rated stuff. They kind of... They kind of ride that PG thirteen. They they line. understand the family entertainment yeah. demographic. Is they want, what I would say they want that four quadrant kind of uh, yeah marketing where it's like yeah young kind of younger kids not like babies or children uh, to kind of you know middle aged to even older adults. So and just uh, just for anyone watching, uh, when people say four quadrant, I think I have this right. It usually means like males and females, younger and older as well right yes pretty okay. much yeah and yeah and like in a short way essentially that just means like it's a way of saying you're reaching the largest demographic of people possible right all right well i think uh, i think that wraps up that conversation so we are going to move on here we're going to do a full spoilers review of uh zach snyder's army of the dead before we get into the beats of the movie uh chris i'll throw it to you first you want to give oh me your sort God. of overall impression of this film I liked it. Um, it's uh, I, I, there were things that I that I quite liked about it. I I was entertained while watching it. Um, there there's a lot of problems that I have with it. I didn't love it, um, but I was I was more entertained than I thought I would be, and I was actually more invested than I thought I would be in the character in the story. So overall, I would say it's it's good, not great. Andres. I saw this under the worst conditions you could possibly see a movie in. Uh, spent the past week getting up in Guantanamo early. Bay. No. I was in Gitmo and they were blasting this show at <laughs> or the movie, and they were saying where are the codes, and I didn't give them the codes. Anyway, uh, no, what I was, uh, I've been going apartment hunting as these guys know, so I've been going to bed at four and waking up at nine and going <laughs> apartment listings. It's been brutal. So I've been sleep deprived over the past week and 
the heat finally hit Chicago. So I've had a big portable AC unit blasting. And when you have that, you can't understand half of what's being said. This will come up later because there are things I didn't pick up that I'm going to have to ask you guys about in this film. Nevertheless, I didn't hate it, which is huge because as you guys know, and as our viewers may not have picked up by now, I'm very critical of Zack Snyder as a filmmaker. You are. And I didn't hate this. I didn't love it. I, I had issues with it, but I didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. it's not the worst thing he's done okay yeah i think i think we're all kind of in the same place i i had a lot of fun with this movie i don't think it's like pinnacle of the genre um i, I found it quite entertaining i thought there were some cool ideas um well i guess we'll talk about the cast next um i thought dave batista did a really good job sort of carrying this film what do you think about that andres it was okay um yeah Chris, All right. uh, no, I I really like Dave Batista in this. I thought he the dude is talk has been talking a lot in his personal life about about wanting to be a legitimate actor. Like not not that sounds shitty. What I mean is like he wanted to be, he wants to be taken serious as like a legitimate legitimate dramatic actor. He doesn't right. just want to do kind of Drax roles where he's just funny all the time. Um, and I think he has the chops. I in this he's he's quite good he he delivers his lines i think with a with a nice kind of uh, subtlety and in naturalism like it, it he never really felt for the most part some lines were a bit more over the top but i don't blame him but i think that for the most part he was really natural and really believable and he and i i believed him as this kind of character in, in his relationships that he had especially with his daughter i thought was great and he he got some moments to really kind of you know work those chops and, and cry and be emotional I thought he was solid, so I I really enjoyed him. And he, and you know, as a lead, I can't really recall because I know I didn't see Stuber, but I can't recall him seeing him in something where he was the lead. I'm sure he has been before, but yeah, for he carried a movie, a movie that was very much an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. I was I was I liked him as the lead. I wanted to care about. I mean, I did care about him. He was simultaneously big macho action man, but also had more heart and personality than just kind of blank stoic ma- action man. Right. And he didn't play it as a comic relief. He got to play it straight for this one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, he he got some, he got a couple dry, like dry one-liners or, or like a little oh, bit of yeah. wit to him. But yeah, he wasn't a goofball. He wasn't like Drax just being like the a dork or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll pose this question to the both of you before we get into the story. Were there any other characters or actors that stood out to you specifically? Uh, let's go with Andres first. I'm thinking. Uh, let's go with Chris first. Okay. Uh, absolutely. No, I really liked the cast, actually. I thought that <laughs> this was a solid ensemble, and which is something you want from a heist film. Uh, I thought his daughter, uh, played by Ella Purnell, was really good. The character, some of the choices that that they made for her, I thought were kind of weak, but she played it, and she had a really, like, kind of heartbreaking moment towards the end. Um, but everyone else was was good to to really good. I didn't think there was a really a weak link in this. Like, I, nobody was really giving a bad performance, um, and some people were really terrific. Like the uh, the the guy who played the um, the 
safe hacker or he was yeah he was this safe cracker you know mm. he's kind of a fun kind of energetic character and his relationship with the guy with the buzzsaw was cool yeah oh, i actually i okay. loved that bromance like watching yeah. that sort of because they're they're really at odds and ends early in the mm. film and then yeah absolutely no i, re I really like the relationship and last one i'll say before i pass it along is uh tig Nataro, who mm -hmm. was um she was the helicopter pilot and it seems like 99% of her dialogue was probably um, improvised, which I, I I thought she was great. You know, not every line worked, but she just was like a, this cynical asshole that was just done with everything. And I loved it. I thought she, she made me laugh uh, pretty consistently. Well, and I, I found this out too. Apparently that role was uh, supposed to be played by Chris D'Elia mm -hmm. and yes. they shot it with him. Mm -hmm. But then there was like sexual misconduct allegations or something. I don't know much about Chris D'Elia, but uh -huh. so they like reshot all of it with just her on a green screen, not interacting with any of the other actors and they just fit it in. I, I don't know if I would notice that if I were to rewatch it, but I absolutely did not get a sense of that when I was watching it originally. I didn't mm -hmm. know it at the time, but yeah. did that they stand? Did... Yeah. A, a teeny bit, a teeny yeah. bit. Cause I knew, I knew about it going in um, okay. and I, it, they do a really good job. In fact, there's one scene where they're kind of what she's walking and talking with Dave Batista, and you never would have tell you've been able to tell. But then there's other scenes when they're when there's kind of wide shots of the group as a whole, and you can tell that she's just kind of awkwardly digitally placed in there. Okay. But but you know what? It, I bought it for most for most of it, especially with the scenes where it counts, where there's dialogue and everything. I bought it. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a testament that you didn't even notice it court like clearly it didn't it didn't stand out enough to you so i think yeah. good, good on him so andres do you have any anyone you want to mention for specific standouts to you i had no standouts uh, as you guys are saying yeah the cast was a solid it was an ensemble cast they did what they had to do um and i wouldn't be surprised if due to the whole justice league mustache fiasco they were especially vigilant on making sure putting her into that role mm -hmm. worked because right. People were memeing that mouth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they they really did a great job on Tignataro's mustache. It was, it was yeah. you couldn't even tell <laughs> that that she had it in this. It's true. That's not um, a knock against her. I love her. I love her stand up. She's terrific. Well, so I'll, let's uh, let's get into the story here, and and I will start because right from the get go, actually, you know what? Let's start with Andres. So the film starts oh, with um, a couple who've just gotten married. And it's they're they're going for a drive in the desert, and it's intercut with a military convoy transporting some type of payload. It's a zombie. We don't know that yet. And yeah, uh, we do. Yeah, we do. Pretty much. <laughs> Every, everyone knows. Uh, Andres, would you like to uh, tell me what you thought of that sequence? Uh, sure. Hooray for gratuitous roadhead within three minutes. Uh, you know, it's just. Uh, I mean, it's fine. Couples do that. But it was just like, was that necessary? I mean, I understood they were trying to set it up where it was like, okay, we need people to be distracted. So when what happens happens is sellable. But Snyder's first thought was, hey, Roadhead. Who's going to give you a reach around? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah it's it was kind of sophomoric humor. Um, yeah. where Snyder. Yeah, I didn't, I, I wasn't like mad at it or anything, but it was kind of like, okay, uh, this is him going back to kind of pre-DC Snyder where he's got kind of some crude humor and, and is going for that kind of more lurid R-rated territory. Yeah. And you know, it just occurred to me, but it's like, 
it's kind of the same scene from Zack Snyder's Justice League with the guy with the burger reaching for the burger. The, distract, it, yeah. the distracted driver. I, we didn't we didn't uh, get a close up on a sesame seed, unfortunately, this time around. But I one last thing I'll say about that is that what I I did kind of laugh out loud when the uh, when the car hit the armored military vehicle and both of them exploded. Right? Yeah, and that I was, was like, a little much. Yeah, I'm I, like, well, okay, this this you know probably million dollar armored vehicle. Its its main weakness is what a 1970s Oldsmobile. Like well, what the fuck? You see what they cut the side of the script. What happened was they got their armored convoy vehicles off a of wish, and this is what happens. You know, things <laughs> off a <of> wish. <laughs> so, uh, so there's there's a collision, and the one soldier radios in and says, you know, it's compromised, blah blah blah, and she says, okay, just like get the hell out of there, just mm-hmm. run. So he and his buddy go running into the desert, and I had to I I, I messaged these fellows about this because, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was purely coincidental i sincerely doubt it yeah um i don't know if it was a ripoff or an homage andres you were saying probably homage i'm inclined it's to an agree. Homage. but there's the there's man, a sorry go ahead the man is known for knowing horror and it's like what you're about to say is a classic so it's like yeah okay so there is a moment where basically these two soldiers they get out into the desert they're walking along it's nighttime and they start hearing some growling and the camera's kind of circling around these guys as they're looking around they're like it's hunting us and they're walking and then the one guy falls and the other guy sort of freaks out because he's startled and he goes to help the other guy up and at that moment the zombie attacks mm-hmm. this straight out of an american werewolf in london the exact same thing happens jack and david are walking on the moors it's nighttime they're hearing growling the camera's circling around them uh David falls, Jack freaks out. David tries to pull Jack up, gets attacked by the werewolf. And it was so like insanely clear to me. And I, I think my first thought was like, really? And then my second thought was like, nah, that's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> and then wow. I still I still thought maybe it was coincidental, but then later in the movie, they used a cover of CCR's Bad Moon Rising, which is used uh very prominently in American World from London. That solidified it for me. Uh, what, I, I know you guys both didn't notice that, but in retrospect, let me ask you, Chris, do you think I'm on to something here? Absolutely, yeah. I It's because it's been years since I've seen American Werewolf from London. Uh, I love that film. Shame. So I did, I know I should rewatch it soon. And um, I, so I didn't peg it in, initially, but once in, so, but once you said it in the chat, I was like, you're effing right, man. That's, that's it. Totally is. It really is an homage to it. Uh, I, I mean, because everyone, I can't hear the the song "A Bad Moon Rising" without thinking of American Werewolf in London anymore. Right. Um, oh yeah. So, so I already, I thought that was the one reference. But once you said it, I was like, God damn it, you're right. I, I can't believe I missed that. And, I, and sorry, go ahead. I saw it under the worst circumstances possible, so I didn't <laughs> even hear the lines. Right. <laughs> enough but i might have and if i had slept more than three hours that day maybe i would have picked it like oh mm-hmm. but yeah and let me just say to anybody watching if you have not seen an american world from london shame on you i know it's going back a long ways it came out in 1981 mm. it is not only the best werewolf movie i've ever seen it has the all-time great the movie is 40 years old it's got the all-time greatest werewolf transformation you will ever freaking see absolutely it is so goddamn good so definitely check that out if you haven't so uh yeah basically the zombie attacks these guys he's a big hulking zombie and then essentially we go to the opening credits and 
the opening credits were about as Zack Snyder as you can possibly get. You're sort of absolutely sort of slow motion tableau um, with a sort of uh, an uppity pop song. Here was Viva Las Vegas uh, by I think it was by Richard Cheese. I'm not certain of that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like it's it's fun. It's kind of silly. There are actually there's there's a it sort of tells a bit of the story leading up to where the film really kicks off. Yes and no. We'll get to it. Okay. Um, and a lot of it is just kind of goofy and violent and whatever. Then we also are sort of introduced to our main character. I was very perplexed by this, but we're sort of introduced to our main characters as they're like posing for professional photographs with like the backdrop. Not sure what that was supposed to be. I found it kind of funny though. Yeah. But then we also get this story of this like mother and daughter that it sort of keeps cutting back to. And to me, like, I'm trying to remember what happened. I think, I think, I think both of them get surrounded by zombies and she has to like cradle her daughter and she's crying. And oh yeah, it was genuinely, it was genuinely heartbreaking. I was like, oh, he faked this out. That rascal. (laughs) Chris, how did you feel about the, the titles? Yeah, I mean, it's he's done this, uh, you know, oftentimes before going all the way back to um, the first Dawn of the Dead. It wasn't in slow motion um, or not the first, but his his remake from 2004. He loves long title sequences um, and especially later in his career, it's often very much in slow-mo. Um, so, yeah, it was it was cool. I, I agree with I think you mentioned the chat um, court. I think it went on a little too long. Like yes. it was it was. It was, it was like 15, 10 or 15 minutes. Like No, it wasn't 15 minutes, but, uh, but it was long. It was, it was long. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I didn't, I, I dug it, but it was, it was a little long. Also, I had a weird, I had a thought too about the, the weird kind of photo shoot that they were doing. I think that would have worked better if there was other sort of stylistic choices like that throughout the rest yeah, of the movie. Right. Um, yeah, it felt, it just felt very out of place with everything yeah. else. Yeah. It was the only thing, it was the only time that it, it did that. So, um, it, yeah it gave the movie i don't know if you guys got this but for me personally it felt more like a tv show at times and having them posing with their photos in the opening credits like that kind of gives you like a sitcom intro oh, okay someone, i didn't oh sorry i was just gonna say someone's gonna needs to recut that with like an upbeat 90s like sitcom the f- show everywhere yeah. you look hell everywhere. yeah that would be great um I, I will say uh, one of one of my negatives for this movie, um, and and the title sequence kind of almost sets it up. This movie is really long. This movie is two and a half hours, which, as I said in my non-spoiler review, is still an entire movie shorter than Zack Snyder's Justice League. But mm-hmm. two and a half hours, like I, I I don't think there was enough character work to 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 justify that i don't think there was enough story to justify that i feel like this movie could have been 90 minutes and it would have yes. been pretty much the same flick it's uh it's peter jackson syndrome right once you've made a movie that's four hours you don't know what an appropriate runtime is anymore because i said the same thing in my notes that i wrote i said this movie was longer than it should have been uh, snyder doesn't know how to trim the fat right because yeah the uh we'll get into it later on but i feel like some of those tender emotional moments could have been cut out because that's that's where the film like just nose dives and it gets really tedious and the characters aren't given enough to work with to make these scenes really i mean some of them yes others not so much um and that's where you could have trimmed what do you think about the runtime chris 
Yeah, I, I simultaneously think that it was um, too long, but I'm at the moment, I, I'm trying to think of what would specifically be cut because I'm going through a lot of scenes in my head and I'm like, oh, maybe cut this guy. Oh no, but you need him for this to happen. This, 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 and that. Um, I simultaneously think they could have cut, I'm, I'm jumping around a bit. You could have cut the um, zombie love subplot with the yeah, baby. Yeah, but, that... but at the same time, it was so weird that I was kind of like, I kind of appreciate that it's in here because it's like, I, I haven't quite seen that before. Like, I've, I've we've seen similar things, but I'm like, that's weird. I don't know. You know, well, I mean? and that's that's actually something I want to touch on because that's one thing I liked about this movie, even though it got kind of goofy at times. This this sort of societal hierarchy of zombies, I haven't quite seen that in a movie before. In fact, to me, it to me this movie felt like a mixture of like just the zombie genre in general, Ocean's Eleven and um uh, richard matheson's i am legend not so much the will smith movie but the actual novel that was vampires but they're their own society mm -hmm. and i thought that was a cool take i haven't really seen that in a zombie movie before the whole king and queen zombie again it was weird it got a little bit goofy at times but i did i did kind of like the idea of, of how they have this society and they have kind of rules and they'll allow people to come in as long as there's an offering and that was kind of cool. What did you think about that, Andres? I didn't get it. Because okay. you're like, okay, they're doing an offering. A, where are all the zombies? There was something about, I mean, mind you, once again, this will be a disclaimer for everything I'm saying. I had a giant air conditioner in my left ear, so I didn't catch some exposition. But I was like, where are all the zombies they're talking about? Because it was like, you're doing an offering, but what does that mean then? Does that mean that the alphas, that's what they're called. They're called the alphas. Yeah. Are the alphas going to pr pr protect you from the other zombies? Do the other zombies report to the alphas? There wasn't enough really um, explained. And should I launch into what um, my problem, oh, I finally figured out what the problem with Snyder's work is. Should I think I you should. Now? I think okay. you should. So, because... This has been, I, I, I've never understood why I didn't like Snyder's work, even though I like some of his films, I don't like others. The biggest problem with Zack Snyder's films is he's a terrible writer. Any films he's directed that he didn't write, such as Dawn of the Dead and Watchmen, has been fairly well received, while any films he's helped write, Sucker Punch, the DCEU, Army of the Dead, have had issues his flashy directorial style can't compensate for. Hmm. All right, uh, Chris, do you want to weigh in on that? Um... Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, I'm just trying to look up what his writing credits. Um, yeah, he's, he's not a, he's not a terrific writer. Um, although, although I, I haven't seen this in a while, but I, I remember liking 300 a lot when it came out and he, I think he, he kind of co-wrote that. But that's also an adaption of a graphic novel. He true, handles true. Ad adaptations very well, but when it's his own thing, that's when things start crumbling for him as a director. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, he wrote the screenplay for Sucker Punch and Sucker Punch is very bad. Um, the, yeah. I, I mean, I quite liked Zack Snyder's Justice League. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I so I think it's, he's kind of hit and miss for me as far as a writer. Um, and when it comes to the hierarchy of the, of the zombies, um, I liked it. I thought, I thought it was cool. And they, they didn't go too in depth in it, but they did kind of explain what was going on with the offering and everything. They were kind of explained, like there's these rules that there's this, this woman, this blonde woman, um, 
who is essentially like a navigator. Like she, she, she kind of um, essentially the all of Los Angeles, by the way, because for Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Oh my God. Sorry about that. Las <laughs> Vegas. All of Las Vegas is essentially like enclosed. So all the zombies are in there, but there's like this coyote, I think they call her. And yeah. she kind of brings people in, smuggles people in for certain things and kind of brings back out. So she's quite aware of, of the what goes on in the city. Um, and she was explaining like, yeah, there are alphas. Like there's, there's shamblers, which are kind of the George Romero zombies. Then they have really fast zombies. And then you have like these pretty intelligent alpha zombies. And they were like, we need to give them an offering essentially as kind of like obtruse as like, hey, we're not going to F with you. We're going to, you know, stay as, as far away as, as you guys as possible. We're just here for the money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, see, now this is where I've got another question uh i didn't understand her character i understood what she does but you're like you see the people who work for the government that are keeping everything quarantined they're well aware of what she does how does she keep them at bay if they know that there is a way to get inside and outside that's a huge contingency from trying to secure a dangerous situation like that i didn't get the vibe that like it was well known i they she see it seemed more like there was so essentially again las vegas is enclosed and yeah. then right on the on the outskirts of it is sort of like these uh concentration camps essentially um where where people who are misplaced and they don't have a, they don't have anywhere to go and she seems to be just like one of them like she's not working for the government she seems oh to yeah be someone on the outskirts so i didn't i don't remember a line of dialogue or anything indicating that it's like, oh, the, the police and everybody knows yeah. what they're up to. But you have to remember, douchebag McRape mustache man literally saw them going in there. He works for them. He sees them going. He doesn't stop them. He isn't like, what are you doing? He because seems he's, pretty knowledgeable about what's going on. He's a piece of shit that's, tra- that's looking out for his own means. And the fact he joins part of the mission initially to go in there. So he's he's this crooked guy. And it, 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 I think they indicate that he's just looking the other way because he does a lot of illegal, terrible shit himself. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Uh, so that, that's I, yeah. that, that was where my big snag was i was like wait how can if they because i mean you'd have to imagine they're going to have people working in shifts to maintain law and order in this camp and it's like well what happens when the other guy comes in does she is there like a are they paying them on the side what's to me to me that's getting into cinema sins level of nitpicking where it's like i don't well, i don't need to know the entire backstory of how like okay well what about on tuesdays at 5 p.m is she still able to go into las vegas it's like i i'm able to extrapolate that she does it on the sly nobody really knows about it and she does it when she can i it cord am i am i crazy i'm, I'm kind of with you there i mean i the that one guy uh Mick rape mustache, whatever you call them. Um, and th- th- this isn't even us necessarily making light because it is, it is another character does say that he's, he's been raping people in this, in this, yeah, uh, this sort of yeah. camp encampment. But, um, he definitely seems like he's in it for his own, for his own means. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, he does go on the, he goes on the, on the mission for whatever it was like $20,000 or something like that. And of course, he's he's the person who is uh, eventually the offering to the zombies, which was great. I was very happy about that because, mm. man, I believe the actor's name is Theo Rossi. Dude plays a slime ball really well. Yeah. I, I swear, 
I swear Zack Snyder just has a Rolodex of actors who can act like scummy people because every one of his films just has like, here's this douchebag, here's this douchebag. Right. Um, um, so let me ask you guys this, uh, and then we'll talk a bit about the story and then uh, we'll move on. But um, what did you guys think about the look? As, as I mentioned uh, last time we talked about this, when the trailer came out, Zack Snyder is not only the director of this film, he was also the DP. He also shot the movie himself. Personally, I thought the movie looked really good, as most Zack Snyder movies do. So I want to I want to ask you guys about uh, the way it looked, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on uh, the visual effects in this film. So, Andres, let's start with you. I was shocked because uh, this was a Netflix film, but it looked like a giant budget blockbuster. I mean, the visual effects, for the most part, there's like one shot in the ending where it just looks really bad with the escape helicopter. But anything before that, it was like it held very good. I mean, I kept saying, oh, my God, for a Netflix film, this is huge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, it was shot well. It was it looked great. The visual effects did what they needed to do. The zombie tiger held its own very well. Uh, I mean, it when you, you think about CG tigers, the only one you can think of that was like it's like from a show is The Walking Dead. Looks okay, fine, whatever. But like this is like a movie, and it's like, wait, but it's a Netflix movie. I'm like, it's just it's insane. Well, and let me just jump in. Uh today uh on YouTube on my feed, a video came up about how they did the CGI on this zombie tiger, which yeah, I thought the zombie tiger looked really, really good. Yeah. Um, but the way they did it was they actually like filmed a real white tiger and blah, blah blah and then based a lot of stuff on that but so the the lead visual effects guy was talking and he was like you know we were in we we're in la but we had to we had to find you know a tiger we could go and see and film and blah, blah blah so we got in touch with this person in florida and we flew down there and spent time with this 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 uh this tiger and blah, blah, blah. And it was Carol Baskin from Tiger King. <laughs> I, I have not watched Tiger King, but I've heard all about it. So yeah, he said he flew home and then he was like working in his office and his wife was watching something on TV. And he's like, I know that voice. That's the woman I went to see. Oh that God. bitch, Carol Baskin. And apparently she, like she potentially murdered her husband and fed him yeah, to a tiger. Okay. Insane. Allegedly. Uh, for I legal never... reasons, allegedly she is a terrifying, weird old lady. Yeah, I never saw it myself, but the Tiger King memes that were all yeah. over Facebook last year were wild. Yeah, I gotta, so, I gotta watch it. It looks, it looks remarkably entertaining. I've heard um, horrifying yeah. things about it. Um, yeah, so it's a weird story. Uh, so, Chris, what did you think about the visual effects, the tiger, the way the film was shot? Um, I, I thought that the film was inconsistent with its with his visuals um zach snyder is is terrific with his his uh tableaus he creates like he can create some really striking images of um oftentimes in wide shots of just kind of uh setting and um characters essentially the framing and blocking he's really terrific at that but a lot of this film in fact the majority of the film was shot on handheld with an extremely shallow depth of field. Yeah. Um, essentially, it, for, for those who may not know what that means, it's essentially most of what's in the frame is out of focus, except for a very small, very specific spot. He, and, he does that a lot in like all of his movies for sure, but it was it was all over this Yeah, one. no, in this one, I, yeah, because I've noticed it before in his films, but they, it was never distracting. 
in this one it was it was because it was constant i think it's partially because he's the not partially i think it is because he's the director of photography um and i think it, i think it's overused partially because using different lenses focal lengths anything it it has this inherent meaning this meaning um you know cinematic visual language means something to people so you often would see in other movies this type of um shallow depth of field in situations where characters, let's say, are like drugged and they're just starting to feel the effects or they get not, they're about to knock out because blurring everything creates a disorientation and makes you feel like, oh shit, I'm, you know, I'm losing focus. But he does it just for the most normal conversations of people talking and they move slightly and they're completely out of focus for well. long stretches of time. And it's like, it's not, it's it distract, to me, it was really distracting. Well, you see, what happened was, according to the trivia, they lost all the other lenses, so they had to shoot with one. I'm kidding. That's I made that up. I don't Amazing. know why I did that. No, uh, I, I mean, for me, like, I think it looks really cool, but in this movie, because it was so so friggin', it was distracting. Because I remember just kind of going like, "That's a Snyder, that's a Snyder," and I said that a lot, uh, yeah. even out loud a couple times. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 that using you know shallow depth of field it looks cool i think it's just what i think that if he had a director of photography i think that someone else could have been like could have stepped in and been like you're overusing it like right. you know using it here and there that works but he didn't have that so he was just like i'm using this shot this shot this shot this shot and it was <laughs> came to be the the majority of the film looked like that but it's still visually interesting it's still a stylishly shot um and some really beautiful visuals you know like you'd come to expect from uh, Zack Snyder. And the CGI was, for the most part, pretty good. There were some aerial shots of, of like hordes of zombies that look kind of clearly CGI. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, some solid green screen work and, and the tiger was, you know, not photorealistic, but it, it was convincing enough that it, was, it still was like a threat when it you yeah. know, started attacking people. You could feel the weight of it. Um, so yeah, for apparently the budget is 70 million. Um, huh? So it looks really good for 70 million. You know, it's it um that's still a big budget movie, but it's not the 200, 250 million dollar budget yeah. that a lot of big blockbusters get. Like like a James Cameron right. <laughs> one of those no, James Cameron films. Yeah. One one thing I appreciated, and I, I said this in the non-spoiler review that you know, I don't need extreme violence to enjoy a movie. Sometimes I don't want that. In a zombie movie, I want a lot of gore. Oh and yeah, the violence in this movie is great. I loved it. It was super gory. Uh, there were some really inventive kills. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite moments was when they're trying to get to the safe door and they're sending the zombies in to like trigger the booby traps. Oh yeah. And the final one goes in and the the like the Indiana Jones scene where the the wall just like smashes on it and opens up and it's all like Guts. stretchy and gooey. That was amazing i loved it what what did you guys think of the violence in here uh, i'll start with you andres i wish snyder would make more zombie flicks because when he does other things he can be a little too violent for what he's working on like superhero right. movies it's like tone it down my boy uh, right. but zombie films it's like go ahead yeah. run over heads with school buses my boy the world is your candy store of carnage <laughs> chris what did you think yeah, absolutely. Uh, for a zombie flick, you want it to be gory and over the top, and he is quite good at it. Um, I, 
this is kind of going into also the action aspect of it, which Snyder's very good at directing action. Uh, there's some terrific zombie kills in this. There's a moment, I forget the character's name because she didn't really get an introduction, but there's a moment where they have to kind of sneak sneak through this building uh, at it, that's dark. And there's kind of like zombies that are just kind of like incapacitated. And this one woman gets separated and she has like this John Wick style kind of battle with all of these zombies, which is really badass. But there's one moment in particular that I, I kind of just replayed afterwards that I really loved is because she's starting using like knives and handguns because she wants to be kind of discreet. And at some point she just like screw it. And she gets this machine gun and just blows the shit out of like five or 10 of them. And I was like, yes, that's what I love. I, I they, There's some really good kind of just mowing down of zombies. And even though it's kind of probably mostly CGI blood, it was still satisfying. I loved, you know, some great red, bright red blood splatter and everything. So some some really solid gore in this, I think. And was she the one who had the sort of um, the aliens death where they all surround her and she pulls the grenade and? Uh, she she was the one that um, she didn't pull a grenade, but someone shot at her like gasoline. Oh, that's oh, right. That's yeah. right. Uh, which is not how not how gasoline tanks work. From, from what I, from what I remember from MythBusters, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It you don't works just, like that in a Snyder movie. Yeah, you don't just shoot it and it just explodes. Anyway, but unless it's a Snyder movie, mm-hmm. right? Um, another another moment of violence that just absolutely tickled me <laughs> was when uh, when Buddy gets his face chomped on by the tiger. Oh yeah, that was great. That was mm-hmm. so grisly, and the sound effect. Oh, that yeah. made my day. That was one of my favorite parts of the movie. I don't know what that oh, says yeah. about me, but. <laughs> You like seeing people get their comeuppance. I guess. Good, good gore, man. I dug yeah. it. Um, I guess, uh, are there any specific uh, moments of the movie that either you guys want to talk about? Should we move on? What do you guys think? Uh, for gore? Oh, just for anything. Story? Uh, I got so much about the story, didn't I pick? Go right ahead. All right. Sorry ahead of time. Uh, no, I'm not sorry. Okay, passage of time is poorly established. I had no idea it had been years since the event in the prologue. I they, they, That video I was watching about the tiger, they were saying like, yeah, and then it's been six years. And I was like, what? I, I didn't get that impression at all. All they needed to do was like three years later in like, a, yeah. you know, just something, a, a title card. Yeah. I, I That was why it was a bit confusing for me. And I was like, wait, I know I can't hear the movie, but wait. Uh, that was one thing. Uh, do we want more? Sure. Okay. Why was okay? Why was Batista's character the go-to guy for the heist? He had no criminal background, as far as I could tell. He was a mercenary. Uh, they they did explain that. He, oh, they did. Yeah. So I mean, it was partially what we saw in the beginning uh, with mm-hmm. that montage. He was a part of like this initial group of people. Um, they had a they had a title. It was like Lost Vengeance or something. Yeah, that sounds uh, right. Where they they so he was the guy. I'm like, you've been in Las Vegas during the zombies. You were rescuing people. You were you know shooting zombies. So he was one of like the only, if not the most seasoned zombie killer out there. Yes, but he might know how to kill zombies. But what says I know how to break in and do a heist for a bank? Because to do a heist, you have to know people who can do specific things. He's a mercenary who shoots zombies. That's what I'm saying. It was like, it's weird that they went to him for that. But that's, but I think... what, a, that's what a heist movie is, where you get a group of individual people that 
have different skills because together that's how they pull it off. That's why they got the safe cracker. They got the, uh, they got the helicopter pilot. He didn't do either of those. And that's why the, the, the main guy, the um, what's his name? I forget his, I forget his name, but the Hiroyuki Sonata. Yeah. He was the benefactor. He hired them because it's like, Hey, you know, to kill zombies, you've been in that area. You're the muscle. We need a bunch of other people to pull off this heist. Yeah, he kind of he kind of said put together your team, but he actually kind of came up with the basic plan of the heist, right? He yeah. being Hiroyuki Sonata, not Dave Batista. Yeah, that's like, here are the blueprints. Here's how you're gonna do it. You go in and you do this. You do this. You do this. I mean, that's that's classic. That's classic heist movie where you start off with one main character, and he's like, I need to assemble a team that know how to do things that I don't. So it was Japanese man's heist, is what you're yes. saying? Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. I I was like I okay okay. Mm-hmm. yeah he that said makes sense that. okay okay actually uh before you go on with your your nitpicks here andres um i'm just joking um there was one scene that I, i'm really curious to get your guys take on because it was so out of place with the rest of the movie and as it was going i was like i don't know if i like this or if i hate this but it's when they first get down to the hallway that leads to the safe and i think his name was Vanderho, the guy who ended up being Yes. romance with uh, the safe cracker guy but he was going into that like what if there are other bodies there and he's saying like what if this is us from like an alternate timeline and we're like going to forever be going through this loop and i was kind of watching it going like i kind of love this idea but it feels so out of place what what did that stand out to you guys what did you guys think stood out for me but for different reasons uh it's kind of weird that these guys are going in here and there's two scenes where they establish that they see that there's people who have been doing this heist and failing. And it's like, I don't know if I were to do a heist and I see that there's two other groups that have gotten that far and died, I'd have questions like, wait, you didn't mention other heist crews that have failed. That that's like, that should have tipped them off that something was amiss with the situation because it was. Well, and they kind of they kind of get there at some point because Batista like sees the plans and he's like, "Oh, buddy, send another team in here." Like they do, kind of figure that out. I don't remember if that was before that scene or not, though. It yeah. was before. Was it? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. Though they shrug it off, like, "Oh, okay." You're like, "Wait, not okay." They never mentioned that there are other heist teams. If I were to go in as a heist person, I'd be like, "Wait a minute, you've done this and failed." Uh-huh. <laughs> Chris, what did you think of that sequence? Um. I thought it was interesting. I, I, for half a second, I thought like, are they really going to go in this direction? Cause that would be kind of cool and weird if it was like a weird kind of time loop. <clears throat> but since nothing really kind of came of that, I just kind of took it more as metaphorical, okay. you know, that it's just kind of, they're doing the same thing and they're going to die just like the, the rest of the people, which spoilers, that's true. Oh my well, goodness. And I also, I also kind of got the impression that it was Vanderho just kind of fucking with them a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But I kind of would have dug a, a weird like primer time loop scenario. Right. Just one extra layer of like bat shit, whatever nonsense in this. Right. Andres, uh, please go on. That's all I got. Oh, that's all you got. Okay, okay cool. So uh, one thing I want to talk about is, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, time is, is weirdly not established terribly well. And actually I found that towards the end of the movie that really stood out because you know, they're saying like, we got, I don't know, 20 minutes till the bomb goes off. And like, there's still 45 minutes in this movie. And so that just kind of, that just kind of kept going on. Um, that was a little bit weird. 
I did the I, same thing. I stopped and I was looking at the time code like, wait, what's going to happen? And not, not, not that I needed it to be like real time or anything, but like that's, that's twice as long, you know? And I mean, granted, there was a little bit of an epilogue, which I do want to touch on, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I did, I did really like the sort of helicopter escape with the king zombie like hanging off the helicopter again there were a couple of moments where the cgi didn't look great but it was mm. it was a pretty like entertaining sequence and then the helicopter crash really liked mm. dave batista's death scene and i'm pretty sure this is what you were referring to earlier chris ella Purnell crushed it in that scene i thought she was really really good yeah yeah no she was she was terrific that was that was kind of the it was. I think that's what I what I was referring to in the beginning when I said there was some surprisingly emotional moments. Um, yeah, and it, and that was that one worked for me. I think that, you know, um, I thought that. Yeah, no, no, don't, don't really know how to expand on it. Just that it worked for me, and and Batista crying, and and then she her crying. Um, yeah, it was solid. I it didn't shed a tear or anything, but I was like, oh, that sucks. I I feel for him. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I found I found some of the more emotional scenes in the movie to be quite schmaltzy. Mm -hmm. That one really worked for me. I thought it was written really nicely. Both of them played the scene really well. Um, how did you feel about that scene, Andres? Yeah. Um, the only thing for me, I was like, wait, where's the other lady? There were four people in that helicopter. They did not establish Gita dying at all. She was just on the. Oh, no, that that upset me because that was like the whole damn reason why they got into that mess. Not the not them going into Vegas in the in first place, but whole like Batista's daughter just like, yeah. we gotta go save Gita, and it's like okay, I understand. And then they they got her, and then everything went you know was fucked up because they went to go get her, and then she just died off screen, and no one right. mentioned. Okay, what a way to make her just a random plot device you don't even care to have a resolution for. Right. Yeah. yeah. I really didn't like that. No, but that, that was... it, it didn't kill the movie for me. It didn't kill that for me. I was just no. like, I was like, oh, did I miss something? I know I've only slept three hours today and I'm <laughs> watching a movie with a AC blasting in my left ear, but uh No, go? I kinda I kinda had the same experience. I didn't I didn't notice it in the moment and then I finished the movie and I was out walking around, I was like, hang on a second. Yeah. <laughs> like at least at least have a if you're already going two and a half hours, go to 31 and have a moment where the daughter sees her body and just yeah, it's a tear. And then, oh, my dad's dying. Fine. But yeah. like, show us like, something. Yeah. Alien three style. There's the body of Corporal Hicks. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I yeah, didn't ruin the move for didn't ruin the movie for me. And I still thought it was an emotional ending, but it was oh, kind of yeah. like way to it just really felt like. Yeah, it's, this character that had very little characterization is very clearly just a plot device. We're done with her. Don't care about any resolution. Like, okay, easily it, like, it was it was a loose end that easily could have tied up to make you know a satisfactory closing. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. Well, the last thing I want to ask you guys about, and uh, I really it kind of felt a little bit like Zack Snyder's Justice League to me. Is this movie has an epilogue that like didn't need to be there at all, in my opinion. Um, but Vanderho, so earlier in the film, sort of during the climax, Vanderho and the safe cracking guy, they've become really tight friends and safe cracking guy puts Vanderho into the, into the vault, uh, to save him from the zombies and the American government. Oh, there's another thing I want to bring up, but then the American government nukes Vegas. And then the epilogue, we see Vanderho sort of come out of the bunker or the vault with all the money 
Uh, he goes, he gets on a plane, he's going to Mexico City, and then we find out he's turning into a zombie. Um, yes. And I, I understand, they make a point of saying, like, the nuke was low yield, and I understand he was in a vault underground. I'm still not sure I buy that he survives that. And there, even if it's low yield, there would still be radiation, would there not? Yeah, it would have been ground zero. It, until they established the bite, I was like, I was writing down. I was like, that makes no sense. He would have died the second he got out. But then the bite reveal and it's like, oh, all right, sure, whatever. Uh, and it, that's it, what I got to say. To me, it felt like that scene was just there to set up a sequel. Like it kind of felt like the Joker scene in Zack Snyder's Justice League was just there to say like, this is where we're going to go in the future. Uh, Chris, how did you feel about the epilogue? Oh, same. I mean, it was just sequel bait. Uh, if it's as as simple as just moving that moment uh, to the end of the credits, as if the end of the credits stinger. Um, I know that Marvel is is synonymous with it now, but they didn't invent it, so there's no rule saying you can't do it. And I would have been happy. I mean, it would have been like, oh, cool. It's a cute little tease for a for a sequel. Um, I at the as as the epilogue, it, it does feel kind of not jarring but it feels out of place like there's a, a, a mostly a, a, a con- there's mostly a cohesive conclusion with the story and then it's just this and it's like okay uh, would yeah. you guys would you guys want a sequel to this movie yeah let's see a sequel who's gonna be in the sequel they all died except like one person it's so you whole, can't do a whole new cast like is 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 Batista's daughter gonna take up the heist post-apocalyptic heist zombie business? Like, what? Is how do you gonna, make a sequel to something so specific? Is what I'm saying. Right. Is she gonna take up powerlifting like her father and become just yoked, just a beast? That'd be awesome. Now let me let me ask you guys. This is sort of my last question, but and and maybe maybe I'm I'm out to lunch here, but I got and and don't get mad don't get mad at us in the comments. This is just. Uh, something i noticed and maybe i'm dead wrong but hot takes coming in i feel like this movie was taking pot shots at trump uh did you guys get that impression at all because yeah. at one point they actually interview like sean spicer and then at another point on the news that's why i recognize this face yeah uh, melissa mccarthy herself um she she played him on saturday night live um but there's also there's also a moment where we see on the news that like the president has decided to nuke Vegas on July the 4th, but then there's outcry about it because it's unpatriotic. So he changes his mind, but then they have like a statement from the president. We never find out who the president is, but it was like pretty Trumpy is it's the most tremendously patriotic. I don't know. Did you guys get, did you get a flavor of that or am I just crazy? Yeah, no, there's this movie had um, definite shades of, of politics within it. Um, that were besides the Sean Spicer thing, they were not subtle, but they were, they were vague enough that it could just work as like a, uh, uh, like, even if you are like a diehard Trump supporter, you could just be like, uh, they're making fun of the president, be, generic president because it's how huh, government sucks. Lol, lol, lol. But to <laughs> me, it was, I mean, like you said, having Spicer in there and it's being, this being made while Trump is still very much the president, um, you know, got the release date got pushed back. So this, in a world world without uh, the pandemic might have come out in 2020. Oh, wow. Um, so while well, Trump was still president. Um, so yeah, and, and there was there was talk about it just uh, the political reaction to how they're going to handle the zombie situation. So it was surprisingly more um, it was surprisingly more political than I thought it was going to be, especially from a Snyder film, but also surprisingly more left leaning it seemed than because 
Snyder's always kind of come across as like a libertarian to me. Right. Not to, I, I'm getting way too specific. Uh, but also, so yeah, it seemed kind of left-leaning, but also vague enough that it wouldn't offend everybody. However, one last thing I'll say about that before passing it on is uh, that line, though, did make me laugh, where it was just like, what the president said that he wanted to nuke Vegas on the 4th of July because in quotes, it would be totally cool or just something, something like that. Something like that, yeah, yeah. And I, and I was like, it was so dumb that I was like, all right, that's funny. It made me laugh. Yeah, I, I burst out laughing in that moment. <laughs> Andres, any thoughts? Uh, final, final thoughts, if you will? Fine. This is a terrible thing to do final thoughts on. We'll, we got one more thing to talk about about this. Oh, It'll okay. be brief. Okay. We'll see. Okay. Uh, it's the Romero curse perhaps in effect uh because everybody always talks oh my god dawn of the dead 78 it had so many messages and then later on when he started making land of the dead and diary of the dead it felt like romero was trying to capture what he thought people were seeing by becoming a little more commentary-ish with his films and maybe snyder felt obligated i mean that this is a stretch because i don't think anybody watching this would be like oh this is obviously a remake sequel to dawn of the dead but uh Hmm. I didn't actually catch any of that, but once again, I had slept three hours and there was a giant air conditioner in my left ear. So maybe I missed it. Next time you got to put on the subtitles, buddy. I considered it, but I was also so sleep deprived that I couldn't think enough to hit the buttons. Okay. Uh, No, the one more thing. I'm surprised we haven't talked about this. What did you guys think of the score by Junkie XL? Thank you. Thank you. I forgot to bring that up in my other review as well. I really liked it. I actually heard, I heard a little bit of Batman versus Superman and Justice League in there, like very sort of similar orchestrations. Um, I thought it was good. Uh, Chris? I didn't even notice it. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah, no, I, which is weird. I noticed the, the myriad of uh, famous song covers that were mm-hmm. played throughout, but um, which is weird because I really enjoyed Jackie XL's uh, score for, for Justice League. I thought it stood out. Yeah. This wasn't nothing bad, but it, I it felt perfunctory. It felt like it was to me. I mean, like the fact that it didn't stand out to me, I think it kind of served its purpose, but it, there was no, like, there was nothing that I wanted to kind of look up afterwards and just kind of play on its own. Okay. Interesting. What did you think about it, Andres? Uh, well, I didn't really notice it as much. I mean, I'm in agreement, but what was interesting for me is the fact that, uh, I am a longtime Junkie XL fan going back to the 90s. He started out as a dance music artist, making okay. a big beat along with like Crystal Method and all them. And when he was setting up the heist and they had this big beat electronic break song going on, I was like, oh, who was this? I looked it up. It was Junkie XL. It was kind of nice. Oh, nice. It was he returned to his roots for him. And I was like, hey, make an album, please. You haven't done one in decades. All right. So that's all, that's all I got. Nice. Um, yeah, before we wrap it up, because um, I think we're going a little long in the tooth, I, I do just want to say two things. One is um, a little reference. I don't know if you guys caught it. Speaking of homages, there was a very clear Star Wars reference in this. There's oh. two. Essentially, Tignataro's character goes onto the roof and she sees the helicopter that they need to use to fly out. And she says, what a hunk of junk, which is the same same oh thing. But there's God. two. There's one more. There's one more that's similar to that. So she's, what a hunk of junk. Of course, when Luke sees the Millennium Falcon for the first time, he says, what a piece of junk in the same kind of tone. And when she tries to turn it on for the first time, you hear, and you guys can check it out, you hear the distinct noise that the Millennium Falcon makes. <laughs> 
okay. Empire Strikes Back when when it's you know failing. So I was like, all right, cute little Star Wars references. I can appreciate uh, that. I'll have to go back and watch that scene. Yeah. Nothing. I have to. Yeah. Watch this film with more than three hours of sleep and an <laughs> no. AC unit not in my left ear. There you go. Yeah. So no, nothing major about that. But just to wrap it up, um, again, I I enjoyed this film. Uh, it was kind of too long. There there were subplots that could have been cut. It was also not. It was fun, but it was also not as fun as as this premise could be. Um, I really oh. think that something about you know being in Las. Ve- it didn't really play up the Las Vegas part, other than having some sets have slot machines in it. They, they really could have, I felt like uh, with a premise like this, you really could have played up the Las Vegas gambling Sin City aspect and it didn't. Mm-hmm. They really kind of could have transposed this to any any post-apocalyptic wasteland. And Absolutely. I think that with the same premise, you could have had like, had it not been six years into a zombie apocalypse, but more like current. And so everything, nothing's like dusty and deserty and wastelandy. It's like Las Vegas as it is, the glitz and glamour with zombies. I think that would have been more fun. So I think this premise could have been more fun, but at the same time, it was still an entertaining horror action flick. So I would recommend it. Yeah. Andres, would you recommend this film? Uh, I've got three ratings on my review uh, series. <laughs> There's the thumbs up, the thumbs down, and a shrugging skeleton. I give this a shrugging skeleton. I didn't hate it, uh, but the concept of a heist movie set in the zombie apocalypse is interesting but the execution could have been way better. Mm -hmm. This film should have been more memorable than it actually was. Good. I I myself, I would, I would recommend it. I mean, don't think you're going to be getting the best zombie movie ever, but I think it's fun. If uh, particularly if you're a fan of the genre and you like some really gory kills, you're going to get a lot of that. So yeah. So that's that. We're going to move on uh, for our last topic. Andres, do you want to introduce the topic and uh, host this little segment here? Sure. I don't know what I wrote on my list, and it wasn't that written out. So I'm just going to present the question to you guys. What is your favorite underrated zombie flick? Chris, you want to go first? Um, no, I want to hear I want to hear some of your guys first. I want to make sure, I want to see I'm not copying anybody. Okay. Uh, all right, well, fuck it. I'll go first. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the zombie genre. Um, I, I like them, but you know, they're not my favorite when it comes to horror. Um, I wanted to say 28 days later, but I, I think it's a hard sell to say that that's underrated. I think people really, really like that movie. And also some people would get mad at me and tell me it's not a zombie movie because they're not undead. I think it's a zombie movie. But uh, for me, and I've talked about this, this movie on the show before, I believe. Again, I don't know that it's underrated. I think it's underseen. I think the general public are probably not even aware of this movie. It's going back probably six or seven years now. It's a film called Maggie. It stars uh, um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, uh, Abigail Breslin. And it's it takes place during i guess the zombie apocalypse what have you and it's it's not really a horror movie it's it's much more of a family drama um basically the premise is if you get bitten by a zombie it takes you about two weeks to turn and so everyone when if they get bitten they have to turn themselves into the military and the military take them to a facility and essentially kill them and uh Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a Midwestern farmer named Wade, which 
no sorry uh, <laughs> don't buy wicked. that at, at a line like when i came here from uh germany austria, austria thank you fine i'm totally down and just don't call him wade uh call him will wilhelm or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but like so his daughter played by abigail breslin eventually she gets bitten and I guess he's got friends in the military or something and they come to take her away. And he's like, no, I, she needs to stay with me and I'll take care of it when it has to be taken care of. And it's essentially a movie about terminal illness within a family, just with a zombie bent to it. And it's like beautiful. It's heartbreaking. Abigail Breslin's excellent in it. Arnold Schwarzenegger cries in this movie. And I absolutely bought it. Like, <laughs> This might be my favorite performance, like kind of outside of his usual big action stuff. Might be my favorite thing he's done. So I highly recommend Maggie. Uh, that is my pick. Right on. Every time you mention it, I'm like, I do need to watch this film sometime. I would love yeah. to get your thoughts on it. I would love I you to do a review of it. <laughs> oh, maybe I will. I think you should. I Would Chris like to go first or shall I go first? Uh, you go first. Okay. I'm gonna be quick. Uh, I'm. I think I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this on here before, but I want to be vague uh, because it's good to go into this blind. Okay. Uh, it is a 1981 film called Dead and Buried. I can't remember who directed it, but I know it was an earlier Stan Winston special effects vehicle. I can't remember who's in it except for the guy who played Grandpa Joe in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. It is a mystery in a small coastal town. An investigator comes to investigate it. Things aren't as they seem. I don't want to say why and how this ties into zombies because when you find out, it's a pretty horrific revelation. It's pretty, uh, go check it out. Oh, dope. All right. Right on. Chris, man, it's up to you. Take uh, it home. I, the reason I was hesitant about this one is that it's... I don't know if it qualifies as underrated. It's it's uh, Peter Jackson's Dead Alive, Ooh. also known as the title Brain Dead, which is probably one of my favorite like top five zombie films ever because it's just it's easily one of the most one of the goriest films of all time. But yeah, that's it what wasn't, I, I've, I've never actually seen it. I'm a Peter Jackson fan. I've been meaning oh, yeah. to go um, watch it, Court. I, I intend to. But isn't that like because he made that like super indie? Wasn't he like cooking up the gore effects in his own kitchen and shit like that? Um, yeah, this one still is like very low budget. He his first one that he he did, which I forget was, what bad, was that one taste. bad taste. Yeah, his first film, Bad oh, Taste. Man, that was that was one where he did everything by himself. But Dead Alive, like again, also it's depending on what region you're in, it's also called Brain Dead. So just look it up. It's 1992 from Peter Jackson. Um, it's terrific. And the reason why I said I wasn't sure if it counts as underrated is because. It seems like within the horror community and anybody that's kind of like a big zombie fan, they all love it. Like, it's not like it's not, not loved. It's just not a big mainstream film. It was a low budget thing from, from New Zealand that had a bit of a cult following. And then, of course, after Lord of the Rings was a success, pretty much all of Peter Jackson's filmography kind of, you know, came back to the forefront. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen it, really check it out, especially if you're a gore fiend gore hound i don't know what you would call it but this i really is one of the goriest films of all time like there's a scene where a guy gets a lawnmower and there's a sea of and he holds it up so it's just a spinning blade and there's a sea of zombies in front of him and i'll let you do the math 
whatever what happens next does not disappoint that sounds awesome that is a good choice actually because i know what you're saying it's like it's very well known but i feel like people just always go well the gore it's like well there is a good ridiculously funny movie Mm. inside the gore like oh yeah absolutely so it's like it's people kind of just check it off as like oh it's the goriest one you're like yeah but it's also there's more it's unappreciated as a film true it's it's a horror comedy for sure um and there's some laugh out loud moments in it as well like it's a very it's very goofy gets kind of slapsticky in in many ways but yeah it's not just like this serious but bloody movie it's like it's just this wacky slightly probably under 90 minutes long it's a weird wild ride from start to finish so i have yeah if if you like later sam raimi well not later but like evil dead 2 army of darkness mm-hmm. it's kind of in that vein of raimi's zombie horror for sure but yeah it's, that's a great comparison way gorier mm-hmm. in the best way well and i'll also say like one of my probably my favorite thing that i've seen of peter jackson outside of lord of the rings which takes the cake but i love the frighteners mm-hmm. and it, it kind of sounds a little bit similar just the way you guys are describing because it's like a horror comedy and yeah the frighteners is like it gets scary at times but it's fucking hilarious i love oh, that for sure no that's a great one this might be blasphemy but i've been meaning to see frighteners oh, oh you, dude you dig it it's, a, it's, it's so a, good it's really good yeah, check it out. That's I will it, look yeah. forward to your thoughts on that one. <laughs> All right, so that's that's uh, pretty much the show here. Um, so I guess uh, the thing to do would be to ask you, Chris, where can people uh, check your stuff out online? Uh, you can check out my uh, Instagram handle, which is called Art of Light and Shadow. Um, it's really fun. I'm actually starting this week a kind of tournament. I have a bracket of 200 directors that I'm having users vote on to eventually see who is their favorite, who they believe is the best director. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun creating this bracket, so I hope you join me there. Art of Light and Shadow. Andres, how about yourself? Do a YouTube search for Cheap Thrills, Unspeakable Terror. I do reviews of sci-fi and horror from the dawn of cinema to the modern era. And uh, you guys can, well, you're already on my YouTube channel, and uh, of course... Uh, feel free to subscribe, ring that bell, you know, that whole thing. But uh, you can also check me out on Instagram and Twitter at Courtshake. Uh, Want to remind you guys, I should have mentioned this at the top of the show, but I forgot because I'm an idiot. But if you can't always watch the show, now we have audio versions of the show on various podcasting apps. It's on uh, Spotify right now. It's on Google Podcasts. We're working to get it up to a couple of other places like Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts. So obviously uh, check that out there. Uh, again, we want to encourage you, if you enjoyed the show, if you wouldn't mind leaving a like on the video, that would be awesome. It really helps the channel grow, helps the show get out to more people. Uh, of course, subscribe if you haven't. And, uh, you know, comment below with any thoughts that you have on these topics. What's your favorite underrated zombie movie? Are you looking forward to uh, Batman Cape Crusader? Did you like Army of the Dead? Whatever your thoughts, you know, just uh, put them down there. I will read everything. I will comment uh, back Uh, as soon as I can. So we appreciate you guys watching. We hope you guys are all safe and healthy in this this crazy, crazy time. And uh, uh, Chris and I, Andres will be off next week, but Chris and I will be back next weekend. No idea what we're going to be talking about, but we'll figure it out. Cruella comes out. Oh, Oh, that's true. I'm I'm actually looking forward to that. I kind of am too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll probably do like a spoiler review for that Mm -hmm. amongst whatever else. So uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for watching and uh, take care, everybody. Later, everyone. Thank you.